grab your Bible. Since it's our first Sunday of Advent, we are going to be going through uh, the songs of Christmas, if you will. It doesn't mean we're going to do the little drummer boy or anything like that. Uh, but we're going to go through the different songs that we're going to see in Luke's Gospel. And we're going to be looking at, specifically this morning, Mary's Magnificat. It, it's Mary's song after she discovers that she is going to be the mother of the Christ child, the Messiah. She breaks out into song. And this is going to be her song. Read along with me from Luke chapter 1, starting at 40, verse 46. Hear the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, He has sent empty away. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Lord, your word is precious to us. And Lord, we ask that these words will take deep root and transform us, renew our minds Not for our sake, not to make us just better people. But so that we may more reflect you and glorify you. So use the words of Mary to teach us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So much of the New Testament... Even the book of Revelation, whether you believe it or not, is about worship and worshiping rightly. Some people, when they read the book of Revelation, think that it's basically your your guidebook for how the end is going to come about. But ultimately, if you look even at the book of Revelation, it is teaching us about how to worship, about what is worship. So much of the New Testament stresses the priority of worship. Even in the rebuke that Jesus gave to Satan, when, when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, you know, Satan said, listen, worship me. Worship me. Enjoy me. I'm it. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 hold on, Satan. For it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Only this is who you are to worship. He is to be your object, the one that you adore. He's to be the one that you treasure and enjoy. 
In, in Hebrews 10, you hear the author just urging the believers to come together and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Since they are what? They're called living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house for priesthood and to offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So our whole lives are to be these, these acts of worship, just enjoying God, how we, how we walk out of here and how we serve, how we live, how we think, how we, you name it. Our lives are to be that of worship. And because God has created all of us, all people are inherently worshipers. We are all inherently worshipers. The object, however, of one's worship determines a person's eternal destiny. We are all worshipers. Even if you go out on Black Friday, that in itself was an act of worship. Some are just going out for great deals. There's nothing wrong with that. Getting great deals and in you know, being, being wise and savvy, it's a little insane to get up that time and go out and do that. But it is, it's being smart, right? But there's also some, a different kind of worship for many people. Worshiping the spirit of the age. Like, man, I, we got to consume, we got to get, we got to do all these things. Even in our basketball games, our our. Football games. Man, there are some people who worship the Chicago Bears. Right, Karen? Praise be to God. But then there's those that worship the pagan side. The Packers, exactly, you know. We pray for those folks. But there is, even in that, you know, we can enjoy good games. We can enjoy, you know, this jesting back and forth. We can enjoy that. But for some people, it is worship. That's all they can think about. That's all they can focus on. That's all that their life revolves around. True worship, defined by God, has two two components. He is to be worshipped in spirit, and he's to be worshipped in truth. Worship in spirit is genuine. It's unfeigned. It, It comes from a heart that is opposed to a mere outward ritual. Spirit and truth is deep and personal. In his classic work, work, The Existence and Attributes of God, a Puritan writer named Stephen Harnock wrote this. And I've got a typo up there and it's killing me because I'm that kind of personality. See if you can find it. "Without Without the heart, it is not worship. It is a stage play. And acting a part without being that person, really, which is acted by us. A hypocrite, in the notion of the word, is a stage player. We may be truly said to worship God, though we lack perfection. But we cannot be said to worship Him if we lack sincerity. On this side of the grave... There is no perfect, absolutely perfect worship apart from sincerity. Worshiping Him in spirit. But that worship must also be in truth. As noted, God 
God rejects a self-styled kind of worship that is inconsistent with his revealed word. The only source of that truth is found in his word. So worship consistent with scripture is acceptable to him. So here we have this, this song of Mary. She's probably a 13-year-old girl, young Jewish girl, who has just found out by the, the angel Gabriel that she is carrying the Christ child. In this, these few verses, we see that it, just a tremendous amount of rich theology. And this girl has a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. As a young girl... She was probably like many of the people of her day where she had no personal copy of the scriptures. However, she became so familiar with the word of God because she attended regularly synagogue and she heard the word of God. And what did she do with the word of God? She treasured it. It had a place in her heart. And when it settled in her heart, it was readily on her mind. And so when she opened her mouth, it was worshipful praise. What a blessing it would be for our young kids that they, as they sit underneath the word of God, whether it be in our regular worship service or whether it be because of kids crossing or because of the teaching and discipleship at home, where our kids, when they come into joyful situations or when they come into life's roughest knocks and blows, the first thing when they open their mouth is Scripture and retelling what God has done, is doing, and will be doing. And that's what we see. Mary is an example to all believers in faith, humility, and submission to God's will. This section in Luke's gospel reveals that she has modeled true and acceptable worship. This section, known as the Magnificat, just records her outburst of praise and worship. And I love this as Spurgeon says this about her outburst of praise. Mary's heart was merry, I love the play on words, was merry within her. But here was the mark of her joy. It was all holy merriment. It was every drop of it sacred mirth. It was not such merriment as worldlings would revel in today and tomorrow, but such merriment as the angels have around the throne of God, where they sing sing, glory to God in the highest, while we sing on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Such merry hearts have a continual feast. Yes, Kyle. Even Spurgeon believes that angels. Mary's praise was an expression of faith in God. Her love for him and her deep understanding of scripture. The result is an example of worship for all of us. As we enter into this Advent, this Christmas season, we have got to understand the object of our praise and our motivation for our praise and what should be our attitude in praising. And we can see that here. The first thing that we can see is that worship 
is internal. Mary's worship was with her soul and her spirit. You see that in verse 46 and 47. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit, my soul. Now there's not really two two parts of the human spirit. It is one. But Mary deeply, internally was rejoicing and enjoying God her Savior. True worship. Worship begins deeply, internally, in our heart and our soul in response to our God and Savior. It involves the the whole inner being, our mind, our emotions, our will. And much like the instruments in a great orchestra, all of Mary's thoughts, all of Mary's emotions came together in this crescendo of praise. But secondly, worship is not just internal It is also intense. Hear this, oh white folks. Worship is intense. And I can hear an amen somewhere squeaking out of you, but worship is to be intense. Exalts. This this word, my, my soul magnifies or exalts in the Lord. Translates to a form of the verb which may which basically means to make great or to magnify or to enlarge figuratively. It means to to celebrate or to esteem highly, to appraise, to glorify. True worship is spontaneous. It is not staged. If you are waiting for the band to start playing so that you can worship, you've missed it. True worship just comes out of your recognition of God's movement in your life. And it can be spontaneous. It can be in the car ride with with no radio on, without any CDs on, without any MP3 players on. Your heart, as you are seeing creation, as you are enjoying relationship, should be spontaneous. It's heartfelt. It's not artificial. It's God-centered, not self-focused. It's mental, not just emotions. It seeks to honor God and not to manipulate Him. Mary's praise for God, not praised God not only for what He was doing in her life, but also for all that He was going to do and what He was going to accomplish through the Messiah. And that brought her to spontaneous praise. But the third characteristic of genuine worship is that it is habitual. It is a way of life. It's a habit, an everyday thing that happens. It's not a Sunday, just a Sunday morning thing. It's a Sunday through Saturday, 24-7. Your waking hours are to be worshipful. Every moment is to be filled with worship. The, the present tense for, uh, form of this verb, exalts or magnifies, suggests that worship happened naturally. And it was continuously flowing in Mary's life. It was moving, ongoing. It wasn't just a one and done, boom. She praised him and it was done. It was this ongoing thing. Changing circumstances does not and should not affect 
true worship. The changing circumstances in your life, whether financially, emotionally, relationally, whatever, should not change the way that we worship. It should be ongoing. Because here's the deal. God does not change. His word never changes. His purposes, his promises, and his salvation are always true. Always true. No matter what happens, we are to continually bring, to bring an offering of praise. Even King David said this in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord continually before me. And finally, genuine internal worship is marked by humility. Humility. He looked, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Deep humility. Look what she called herself. A servant. The two greatest hindrances of worship is, one, our arrogance. And maybe I should also throw in there our ignorance. But the second one is our pride. Our pride. And when we become prideful, proud people, what happens? It renders us as hypocritical. Our worship is to be true, humble. People with a shallow, superficial knowledge of God cannot worship Him in the fullest sense because they don't grasp His greatness. But the proud cannot truly worship Him at all since pride in reality is the worship of self. So I think even about our, our, the musical worship that we we participate in as a family. There's, we come in, some of us cannot hold a tune to save our lives. Some of us are polished musicians and can sing, and, and we can do it in four-part harmony if the church would ever sing in four-part harmony. And we're really good at it. But here's the deal. When we come, many of us feel inhibited because we got these pride issues and we don't want ourselves to be noticed or to be ashamed. And so what do we do? We don't sing. We don't enjoy God because someone might hear my off tones or hear my man voice. And what is that? That is self-worship. Self-worship. True worship enjoys God for how He has created you and what He has done in your life and it doesn't give a toot about what comes out of your vocal cords. Enjoy, savor God. Because the object of our worship, and we see this with Mary, who, does, who is the object of her worship? We see it in 46 and 47. The object of her worship is the Lord, God, my Savior. The object of our worship is God 
himself. Mary's worship of the Lord was primarily centered on his role as her Savior. The central theme for all believers must be the reality that God is a Savior from sin and judgment. That he has saved us. He's mighty to save. This God is mighty to save. And he, that has got to be the central focus. Man, he has saved us. He has saved me from my pit of despair. From my being totally deprived. He has saved me and rescued me. Not by anything that I have done. Nothing that I have accomplished. Not by what any of that stuff. It is by the work of Jesus Christ who has saved me. And that propels me into what? Worship. He has saved me. Praise be to God. Thank you. He has saved me. He is the object of our worship. If that were not so, it would be impossible to worship Him. As it He's it. He's it. He's the object. He is the greatest treasure. It's not my kids. I love them. They are beautiful. It's not my wife. She is par excellence when it comes to wives. She's not the object of my worship. It's not my job or my giftings that God has given me. It's not even the church that he's given me to to shepherd and to lead. He is the object of my worship. And Mary knew that the coming Messiah marked the apex of redemptive history. All of Israel was waiting for this day. Waiting for the coming Messiah. And Mary knew as a child of 13 years that when the Messiah comes, that is the climax of the redemptive history. Could not wait for it. Her her son would be the one that would save people from their sins. Because his purpose for, for coming was to seek and to save those who are lost. He was the one. The thrilling reality was that through her, the Messiah would be born into the world. And it prompted her to worship that Redeemer. But what's the reasons behind her worship? There are three reasons or motives for Mary's praise emerging from this this magnificent hymn. One, We see here that she was motivated first because the mighty one, the mighty one has done great things for her. He looked on her humble estate and behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. 
the one who is mighty has done great things for me. Hear how personal and intimate this is? God has done great things for her. Things so staggering and so wonderful that all succeeding generations would count her as a blessed woman. To the point where even in the Catholic Church, where she is exalted to a place where she's probably not to be exalted to. But in the Protestant church, many there were even early missionaries that were told not to teach too much even from the Magnificat because they were scared that people would exalt her too much. But what, So what have we done? We avoid Mary at all costs, don't we? We don't want to talk to her because it might lead us towards that camp or that camp. But because of what God has done for her and through her. We are blessed, aren't we? We are a blessed people. To be the mother of the Messiah was a great honor that was bestowed on her. And the reality of it is, and I love this, the reality of it is, is that she was an unworthy sinner. An unworthy sinner, saved only by God's grace. Saved only by God's grace. And the one who is mighty, whose name is holy, would stoop down and save wretched sinners. And that is the theme of believers' worship throughout all eternity. Look at Revelation 5.9. That is the theme of even heaven. That he has saved me. But we also see another motive of, of Mary's praise of what God will do in the future. Mary's praise went beyond herself to embrace all that God would do for others in the future. Once again, demonstrating her familiarity in in the Old Testament, she quoted Psalm 103, verse 17. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who would fear him. She praised God for the common salvation offered to all who fear him. The saved who are filled with a deep, reverent regard for the person and will of God and are committed to glorifying Him. They, they, we talk about having a multi-generational future, looking at what we do as, as a community of faith and instilling these beliefs and sharing the gospel with our kids. This is an ongoing thing. And Mary recognized that what God is going to be doing in the future of generation after generation after generation. And if we could get that mindset also as a church of saying, man, I cannot wait to be the grandfather, the great-grandfather, And to see this legacy, this heritage. Seeing even Abraham's promises. I'll be a God to you and to your children and your children's children's children. This generational thing. And for children to point back and say, like Mary. 
She saw what God will be doing in the future. His promises are going to be true. Yes and amen. All things through Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. Isn't that exciting? That's good news. But man, through my parents' faithfulness to Jesus Christ and their parents, and I even can see this. I see it in my parents, though flawed, are faithfully pursuing Jesus Christ. And their parents, Fred and Goldie, Bob and Caddy, in their 80s and 90s, I still have both of my grandparents faithfully pursuing God. And I only remember one of my great-grandparents. Faithful pursuers. I come from a long legacy of generation after generation, after generation, after generation, my kids, my great-grandkids, great-great. And this whole idea of this cloud of witnesses, I, I can't wait to be a part of that cloud of, of observing God's faithfulness from generation to generation to generation to generation until he comes again. But Mary also does this thanksgiving thing of recalling the past. The final section here, he is starting at 51. He has shown strength. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He, she is constantly retelling the past. Remembering what God has done. If we could be a people of telling stories. Like this young Jewish girl remembering do you remember God's faithfulness back in 1980? Some of you don't remember the 80s. Remember God's faithfulness in the 90s when he did this? I even remember the date. Do you remember this? Do you remember that? And pointing back to God's faithfulness, how he has done these things. Mary remembered it. She, maybe she remembered Pharaoh's arrogance and how God destroyed the armies and delivered his people. Maybe, maybe she was thinking about Nebuchadnezzar whose heart was hardened and he was proud and he was arrogant. And God de- deposed him from his throne and sent him out like a wild animal. Maybe she was remembering that. God has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. And in his mercy and grace, God has filled, has filled the hungry with good things. And in his judgment, he has sent away the rich. I want you to think about how God fills the hungry or has filled the hungry with good things. 
Immediately we go to, man, social justice, we've got to feed the poor, we've got to give them clean water. Yes, we do. But the greatest way that God has filled the hungry are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. And we're satisfied in His work, how He satisfies us. Not with just a temporary filling of my stomach, but something that will last for eternity. Mary viewed all of redemptive history as the outworking of God's covenant, which He spoke to the fathers, to Abraham, and to His descendants. The salvation was promised in that covenant and would be clarified in the new covenant and would be ratified in the death of the very child that she carried. For it's only through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ that all the sins of the redeemed, past, present, and future, are atoned, are covered And the covenant reality forms a fitting conclusion to Mary's hymn of praise. So as we consider the the first coming of Christ, His advent, let me share you with something from William Barclay as he sums up the deeper meaning of the Magnificat. There is a loveliness in the Magnificat, but in that loveliness there is dynamite. Christianity begets a revolution in each man and a revolution in the world. As we hear this good news of God's faithfulness, of what He has done, how He has brought through a sinful woman, He has brought the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, it should start a revolution in our very own heart. A dynamite. What does dynamite do? It it explodes. It explodes. Don't go to the disastrous part yet. But it, it just goes out. It's like dynamite. It's like power. And it should start a revolution in every man, every woman, in every child and going out to the world. A revolution Revolution, knowing that He shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. No wonder Mary was filled with joy. And don't we have the same ground for joy? Look at Luke 2.10. And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Should that not, should not our joy be far more profound, dynamic, and exciting, and transforming than that of Mary? Because our knowledge of Him is so much more clear. My prayer is that in this Advent season, we be a people who are deeply rooted in Scripture 
and discovering how God has been faithful in the past, is faithful now, and will be faithful in the future. And that gospel, that good news of God showing mercy to sinners like us, transforms the way that we interact in this world. It changes the way that we do business. It changes the way that we love our spouses. It changes the way that we disciple the children that God has given us as a church and as parents. It changes the way that we look at our finances and our generosity. It changes the way that we use our gifts for the glory of God and the, the benefit of all these people in this world. It transforms every conversation that you have into an evangelistic moment. Instead of just a casual picking up your triple venti camera macchiato, saying thanks. Or Dunkin' Donuts. Whatever you drink. Every conversation is transformed by this good news. And it is dynamic. My prayer is that Advent turns everything upside down for us. That we see the way of going up is the way down towards humility. Enjoying the grace that's been given to us. Savoring Him. And sharing that joy. As we come to the table, as we enjoy a meal together, we come together as sinners who are still needing the gospel. Who are people who are broken. There's no perfect person that is welcome at this table. We are only made perfect by the work of Christ, which is not something that you have accomplished at all. Therefore, all who profess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, who have submitted their life to Him and Him alone, if that is true of you, you are welcome to this table. If you have not made that profession, if He is not Lord of your life, I want to encourage you, just sit back. Sit quietly, watch what's going on. For this table is for those who enjoy Christ. The Redeemer. The apex of redemptive history.